uh, athletic footwear in the United States anyway is is now the footwear of choice. Uh, the athletic footwear portion of the footwear business is much larger now than the what we call the dress casual business, the brown shoe business, if you will. And so everybody's wearing sneakers all the time. And you've got generations, millennials and Gen Z, who have grown up wearing nothing but sneakers their entire life. Welcome to an Encore podcast presentation from Forbes Books at ForbesBooks.com. Matt Powell is here with us. I'm with Fabio Tambosi at Tambosi Creative Leadership. Fabio's at FabioTambosi.com. Matt Powell is a vice president and senior industry advisor for the NPD group with a very specific focus. And uh, Matt, I'm not even going to try to explain what it is you are focused on. I'm going to let you do it because I know you can do a hundred times better job than I can. Welcome and tell us about your work both at NPD and also this is something you've been doing for a long, long time. Tell us about what you do. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. So uh, my role at NPD is to basically represent the data to the marketplace. Uh, NPD is a large market research firm. We're a global uh, re market research firm. I cover the sports industry. In sports, we track athletic footwear, athletic apparel, team sports equipment, golf, snow ski, and outdoor. Basically everything you could think of in sports except for hunt and fish. So my role is to speak to brands and retailers about what's happening in the space uh, to help them understand what the trends are, uh, where I think things are going next. And I also represent the data to the uh, to the media. I do interviews like this almost on a daily basis. And so I'm out talking to the press about current trends or any particular hot topic that they might have. So I've been doing research on the industry for 18 years. Before that, I was a, a retailer in the sports industry for a, a decade or so. And before that, I was uh, a retailer in the department store world. So I've been uh, I've been around the business for a long time and, and have been doing research for almost 20 years now. Aside of your 20 years of experience, because I mean, I'm a huge fan of your work, is there anything else you do outside of the traditional uh, research methods that you guys have at NPD? Because I always feel that you're one step ahead, like you, you identify a trend that is potentially soon to become a, a huge hit in the sports industry. What do you do to to stay with a pulse on, on the culture of sports? Well, really, uh, I guess I would say four things. Um, first of all, I have very rich and robust data. Most of the major athletic footwear and apparel retailers in the United States, with the exception of the verticals, share their information with us. And that information is very granular. I see it all the way down to the style level and can get a sense of what inventory levels look like and whether products are moving quickly or not. Secondly, I've got about 18,000 people uh, connected to me on LinkedIn. Now, I don't know all those people, but mm -hmm. I know a lot of people. I'm on the phone constantly with talking to brands and retailers about what's happening in, in their world, uh, sharing with them what I'm thinking, and I learn from every one of those conversations. As I mentioned, I've been around the business for a long, long time, and you know, I think there's just sort of an accumulated knowledge here of uh, 
of what's happened and, and what it means when we see a certain phenomenon arise. And then lastly, I read a lot, uh, several several blogs on a daily basis. I'm, I'm, I have keywords set up on all of the major brands that I track. So if there's a story on them in the press somewhere, I'm reading that story. And again, I, I consider myself a student of the business and, and uh, you never you never really stop learning. Yeah. But those are the four, I guess, the four main pillars of my uh, of, of how I come to my conclusions. We're talking with Matt Powell. He's a vice president and senior industry advisor for the NPD Group, focused specifically on sporting goods. Am I characterizing that right, Matt? Sporting yes. goods? Yep. Okay. Yep. And But I also want to point out that you are also probably the guy who coined the phrase sneakernomics. And tell us about that, how that term came to be and what you initially did with it. Sure. Well, I started writing a blog about five years ago, I guess. It really, actually, it came out of corresponding with people on Twitter. Corresponding is an odd word to use on Twitter, but uh, that's how I'll describe it. <laughs> and I found that I could, simply could not explain a complex thought in 140 characters back mm. in the day. And so I started writing blogs that allowed me to stretch out and talk about a topic in depth and bring in the history and so forth. And then I would link my answers to people on Twitter to to the blog, and mm. it really helped help clarify uh, a lot of back and forth and so forth. And I felt like I needed a uh, a handle on the blog. I didn't. I wanted it to have some kind of name, not just me, not my name, uh, to give it a little bit of marketing oomph, I guess. And I actually asked my Twitter followers what I should call it, and one one of them came up huh. with the name Sneakernomics, and it really fits. And my thinking is a play on Freakonomics and that you know the sort of the obvious isn't always the obvious and the uh, and sometimes the unknown is what unsettles everything so i try to write a blog about every week i i don't achieve that but uh, i just wrote one this morning though on sustainability in sports I, I try to cover a wide range of topics about the sports industry. So it's not always about sneakers, although everything seems to come back to that. You know, every <laughs> brand out there wants to be yeah. Nike. And uh, and so it, 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 even if you're making baseball bats, they, they, they want to know what's going on in the shoe business. You said it right, Matt. You know, there's this huge energy around uh, the sneaker culture. Say this is the massification of sneaker culture. In a recent past, I... You know, I felt that the sneaker community it was a closed door community, right? And and now I feel it's open, like it emerged from the streets, right? Why do you think this has happened? How? What are the culture aspect that has opened the door? Then everyone is like swarming towards the sneaker culture. Everyone wants to know what's happening. Well, I think a couple of things. I think number one, uh, athletic footwear in the United States, anyway, is is now the footwear of choice. Uh, the athletic footwear portion of the footwear business is much larger now than the what we call the dress casual business, the brown shoe business, if you will. And so everybody's wearing sneakers all the time. And you've got generations, millennials and Gen Z, who have basically grown up wearing nothing but sneakers their entire life. We've seen dress codes at work relax so that people can wear sneakers to work now. People are wearing athleisure apparel uh, to all kinds of occasions that people would never have worn before. So I think that casualization has pulled more people into the uh, idea of sneakers. 
And then I think the second second piece of it is really the internet and the ease of which people can exchange information, uh, exchange photographs, share their opinion. You know, a decade ago, these things didn't really exist to the extent that they do today. There's always been a well, not always, but for many many years now, there have been a uh, a culture of exchanging sneakers, collecting sneakers. But it was a very small group, a very cult-like following. And now the internet has really enabled lots of people to get into it. Uh, and tangentially to that, it's also turned out to be something where people can profiteer. Mm-hmm. And so if you stand in line at a footlocker on a Saturday morning and can score a relatively rare shoe, you likely mm-hmm. can double, triple, sometimes even more your your uh, investment that afternoon. And mm-hmm. um, and that has brought in a whole other range of people that, I'm, that are just simply in it for the monetary part. They, they have really no allegiance except to what's the hottest shoe out there because that's the one they're going to make the most money on. Okay, I have a lot of questions, Matt. If I knew which shoe to buy at Foot Locker that I could take home and double my money on, how come Foot Locker doesn't know that? Well, they do, but they choose not to uh, to profiteer themselves, and uh, they recognize that people are making a lot of money on shoes that they sell. The thing that I think Foot Locker likes about it is that the the inventory doesn't sit very long, and you know, <laughs> typically uh, typically an inventory in a shoe store is going to turn a couple of times a year. It's it's a relatively slow turning inventory because of all the sizes and colors that yeah. you have to deal with, and and so if they can sell a shoe out in in quantity uh, in a matter of hours, that's a, that's a very highly profitable sale for them to begin with. And actually, it's interesting because I have in fact encouraged the big retailers that they should be playing in the resale marketplace, not not as sellers themselves, but as facilitators, much like a, a GOAT or a, a Stadium Goods, StockX. And why shouldn't a Foot Locker be that, that marketplace? They're, they're part of the initial marketplace, and, and it seems to me it would be logical for them to be in the secondary market as well. Well, you know, it's interesting as you're describing this, and, and, and I'm just going to full disclosure here for everybody. I didn't even know there was such a thing as sneaker culture until <laughs> Fabio proposed that we talk to Matt. So this is all new to me. <laughs> you guys yep, have, you all. know, been heavily steeped in this for a long time. But what's as I listen to your description of these sneakers that are that are have a, a value that can you can turn around and resell them and that a retailer like Foot Locker is not taking advantage of that, it reminds me of Apple, right? We all know that when there's a new iPhone, I don't know if it still happens, but for many years, there'd be a new iPad or a new iPhone and people would line up to get them. And we all knew that a certain number of them were going to turn around and resell them. And Apple never took advantage of that. And I'm sure there's a corporate strategy to that. And part of it may be that I imagine if a footlocker did as you suggested, then people who couldn't afford to pay double the price and really just wanted the sneaker because they wanted the sneaker might actually walk away with bad will towards the brand instead of goodwill. Well, for sure. And that happens. And it's really about charging a fair price. But I do think, again, that, that retailers like Foot Locker could play in the secondary marketplace and be a broker uh, for people who want to resell shoes and, and thereby earn some commission that's not the same kind of money that the, that the flippers are making, but could get some more income out of, out of that product, essentially selling it a second time, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and receiving a commission on it. So. Mm-hmm. so two other questions I have for you, and I know Fabio's just chomping at the bit to get in here, but the first is you mentioned mm-hmm. writing blog posts and finishing one just before talking to us. Where is your blog so people know where to get it? Where to see it? Oh, 
Yeah, so it's on uh, npd.com. My my corporate company uh, uh, has a website, and if you if just do a search on my name and NPD, uh, it, you'll get to it. I actually let people know when I publish a blog. If uh, folks want to link me on LinkedIn, I will add them to the distribution of when I publish a blog so that they know that, that there's a new one out there. And he's Matt Powell, and I imagine Twitter is also a great place to find out. He's at NPD Matt Powell, Powell, P-O-W-E-L-L. So the other question I'm going to ask Fabio, just settle down, Fabio, breathe, take a big <laughs> breath. So Matt, this is a question that must be asked. What kind of shoes are you wearing right now? Uh, I have a pair of old Kai flip-flops on. <laughs> so you're not even wearing sneakers. <laughs> Correct. Uh, I don't I don't own any sneakers. I don't want to I don't want to pay pay uh, uh, favorites here. You so can, uh, you can't wear sneakers. Exactly. All right, Fabio, uh, I'm calling on you. <laughs> but before before we go into the next question is it Greg this behavior for the people who actually work in the industry to look down on people's feet is such a habit at airports at stores like when i'm walking around all i do is almost a shoe count every day i'm out on the streets mm. so uh, you got it and matt I, we talked a lot about how foot locker the sporting good retailers are, are 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 looking into how to deal with the resale market how how are the big sports brands like adidas like nike like puma are dealing with this reality of the resale market as well uh, okay, so yes, I I think that they they're really in the same kind of position where um, they uh, don't want to appear to be profiteering. They want to charge what they would call a fair retail price for the products that they sell, and so they are too sitting back and watching this this resale phenomenon happen. I do think there's one concern on the part of the brands, and that is that the the truest fans of the brands of the products are not necessarily those who get first access to those products. So oftentimes those true fans have to pay a multiple of the original retail price in order to get a shoe that they covet. And I think you've seen many of the brands now are attempting to control who buys shoes on a release date through uh, apps. Uh, they're releasing mm-hmm. shoes sort of unannounced, if you will, or they're gamifying a release of a shoe um, where you mm-hmm. have to go someplace and do something mm-hmm. to learn learn the location. And so they're they're trying to, I think, take it back so that the the transaction is really between the the brand, the retailer, and the true fan, as opposed to the profiteer. There's a fine line between who's a profiteer and who isn't. The marketplace has always resold shoes even before we had all these secondary markets, and people made profits on these shoes. But the um, the multiples that people are making now are uh, remarkable. I think one other thing we've seen is the brands continue to ramp up on how many pairs they're putting into the marketplace. Uh, scarcity is what drives a lot of the interest here, and so they have to be very careful that they don't put too many pairs in the market. But the more pairs there are, the less the retail multiple is going to be, the resale multiple is going to be. And so, again, the, the product may end up in the hands of the true fan as opposed to uh, a profiteer. Matt, I have a question really both for you and Fabio. And that, you know, you just mentioned that scarcity is a big part of the equation here. But I would also imagine, I mean, in the sneaker world, I know enough about it to know that celebrity plays a huge role. And I would imagine on one hand, scarcity is good. But on the other hand, you have to sell enough shoes to recoup the investment in the celebrity. I'm actually I'm speculating on that, but I'd love to hear both of you talk about that. 
Well, you're right. I think that um, you know, I think the brands have to really look very carefully at what these investments are and how how much. I, I would tell you that for the most part, the athlete investments that are out there simply are not paying them paying for themselves in terms of merchandise sales. Mm. And that's one way to look at it, and I realize it's not the only way. I mean, you can Nike can argue that LeBron is the face of the brand. He is he he is their brand spokesperson, and so whatever they're paying him, you can pass off to a, a general marketing fee. But if you looked at just the sale of LeBron shoes as compared to what he is earning from Nike, um, they're losing money on the deal. I think this is a real dilemma for the brands today in that they've got to pay millions to – there's an arms race, if you will, out there among the brands to sign athletes and celebrities, and and the going rate is uh, is obscenely high and a point where they really can't make any money. And I think there's an interesting – there's an interesting play here that's starting to pop up that the – if you go back in the beginnings of celebrity endorsements, it was about a, an artist saying, I wore these shoes when I was a kid. This is my favorite brand. I want to wear this brand for the rest of my life. Um, or my mom bought me these shoes, my first basketball shoes, and that's why I like this particular brand. And now it's really who's going to pay me the most money. And and we even see that starting to spill over into the athlete side as well. And so you, you've got athletes who are changing changing companies for the money. And I, I think it cheapens the relationship between the celebrity and the and the consumer. I think the consumer is starting to have a backlash that oh gee that person is only wearing this brand because they're paid for it. Just as a side note, we're seeing a really interesting thing in the beauty business. NPD tracks the beauty business as well. It's not my world, but I've talked a lot to the analyst who covers that side. And it's very clear that that the micro-blogger, if you will, the the more authentic, true voice in beauty is is really what's driving the marketplace today as opposed to some celebrity who's who's earning millions to uh, endorse a particular product. Mm. And Fabio, you've spent a lot of time in the sneaker world and the sneaker culture. How, how would you answer that? I think there's a lot of validity. You know, it's just a very strong point to to what Matt just mentioned. But one thing that I always like to to refer back is to once you're building, if you are considering to build a relationship with, let's say, let's call it an influencer, right? You have to make sure that as a brand, uh, there is an authentic real relationship with that person, right? Matt mentioned, you know, a lot of athletes who say, yeah, this was the first brand I wore. But now with the multi-dimension of athletes right now, it's no longer just about performance. You got to make sure it's raw and real. So one example that I, I like to use that it is from a sports figure that an, an automotive brand was able to leverage that the relationship with Serena Williams and Ford Motors, right? They, through insights and learnings about Serena, they found out that her very first car was a Lincoln Navigator. And then they built a story around her first car when she goes to practice, there's a playlist. And now in her new moment of her life as a mother, she made a statement that there's no other car that she could think of than a Lincoln Navigator. So when you hear that story, there's a clear narrative a clear relationship. And I think that's the, the balance that you have to find as a brand to, to really f- make sure that there is this real relationship. Otherwise, yep. I agree 100% with Matt that it becomes just a monetary transaction 
and it's an arms race. I think the authenticity story, again, is is really a critical one. And it's going to be a delicate dance now for the brands and, frankly, for the celebrities to get back to having a more authentic voice. Well, Matt, I, I actually want to follow up on that. We're talking with Matt Powell. He's vice president and senior industry advisor for the NPD Group. He covers sporting goods specifically. He is very, very well known in the sneaker world, having coined the term, we think, sneakernomics. He also blogs on the sneakers and other sporting goods at the NPD website. You can find him on Twitter at NPD Matt Powell and on LinkedIn uh, as Matt Powell. Uh, you know, you mentioned the beauty industry, which I will confess I know even less about than the, than the sneaker industry. But uh, it's interesting you talking about the microbloggers and how they have become such a big force there. You know, things change in our world and they change fast, especially in our digital world. Do you think the sneaker industry and the sporting goods industry will begin to go towards microbloggers for a lot of reasons, including the fact that they're probably a lot cheaper than big name celebrities? I actually do, I, I, and it may not be in the same form that we see in beauty, but again, trying to come back to an authentic voice about you know the product and the and the relationship that individual has with the product and and telling that story um, uh, I, I think that that kind of authenticity uh, is uh, is much needed right now, and it would not surprise me to see see the industry move away from the, the well it's called the celebrity endorsements. We talked about speed and how things are moving so fast and the role of celebrity in metabolizing that that desire for a new product. What should we do with the speed in which landscape is changing all the time? So, for example, the life cycle of a product is so much shorter now. and You need to burn through much faster and bring newness more often than ever before. How How can we keep up with this? Well, I think I think the business model has to change fundamentally, and I'm sure you, uh, Fabio, read uh, Phil Knight's biography that came out a couple of years ago called Shoe Dog, and mm-hmm. interesting history of the business, somewhat self-serving. But that, the 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 real takeaway, though, the real epiphany that I had as reading in reading the book was that the business model that Phil Knight set up 40 years ago is essentially the same business model we have today. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the rest of the world is a little bit different than it was 40 years ago. Uh, <laughs> and oh, so, by the way, everybody else knows what it is now. Exactly. Know exactly how to replicate it. Exactly. So I, I really think the whole model has to change. And I think there's some really interesting stuff coming out of some of the verticals. A company uh, called Allbirds that uh, is doing some very, very different things in terms of how you make and market a shoe. And there's a new company called Adams that have shown up. A guy, some guys in Brooklyn, a brand called Greats. And on the dress casual side, you've got Rothy's as a, as a story. And and the, the, all of these people are showing us that there's a different way to to make a shoe. There's a different way to bring a shoe to market. For for instance, Allbirds only offer shoes in whole sizes. They don't make half sizes. And it's a shoe that's not going to be worn for performance, so you really don't need to have that kind of precision fit. And uh, as an example, um, and are they doing I, that I, as a marketing thing and also as it's, a well, the, the marketing actually was pretty much all initially was all word of mouth, and they they now are doing some online marketing. Uh, but I mean, but is the has, half sizing thing? Oh. A part of a marketing thing, but also as a way. So no, I think it's like an inventory control inventory. thing. I, yeah, I think it means you have you can own half the amount of stock. Yeah, and cover I the love same that. Marketplace. Yeah, right. Right. Hmm. I think I, I just, uh, just want to jump in real quick, and I know you have a question, Greg. Uh, 
Matt, you, you're just touching on this. The lines between sports and performance and culture, it's all blurred, right? Like you said, there's no need for you to have half a size because you don't need that level of precision. What's happening in that space and, and how is this blurring the lines is actually impacting the industry beyond just the half a size and talk, trying to get a little bit more of your insights on style, color directions, and, and bringing new designers to create for you and collaborations and co-creations, right? We've seen tons of that. Look, the, the, again, the world is a lot different than it used to be. Um, the, the millennial is, is very concerned about health and fitness, but their approach to health and fitness is much more lighthearted than previous generations. So they don't need a $150 running shoe. And, and frankly, we're making shoes so well today that a $90 shoe today is better than the $150 equivalent was 10 years ago. And so, again, we just have not really responded to many of the things that we've done ourselves. And uh, I, I think one of the failures or the fallacies for the industry is, is releasing photos of shoes months before they uh, before they are actually at retail. Uh, I, I've had kids on Twitter tell me that I'm sick of looking at that shoe and it hasn't even come to a store yet. And that's, you know, so we're killing product off before it even gets out to retail. And, I, you know, I've said to anybody who will listen, basically, that, you know, wouldn't it be cool if, if the only way you knew what was new was to have to go into your local sneaker store on a Saturday morning and see what was there? Wow. I think and the sneaker think, store would like that. Well, they sure would. And yeah. you've got to believe it would change the traffic idea, the, you know, again, the immediacy. Uh, um, uh, and I still see a, there's a role for social media here, don't get me wrong, but the, yeah. the, I think the marketing departments have fallen in love with how many Instagram clicks they've mm -hmm. got, likes they've gotten over the nine months that they've been previewing the shoe and really losing sight of how that may, in fact, be, um, be hurting them. All right, Matt, I have one last question wow. for you. Okay. Uh, he's Matt Powell, Vice President and Senior Industry Advisor for the NPD Group, focused very specifically on sporting goods and even inside that category on sneakers. The guy who we think coined the term sneakernomics. You can follow him on Twitter at NPD Matt Powell. On LinkedIn, he's Matt Powell. He also blogs at NPD. So if you just go to NPD and or Google Matt Powell NPD, you'll find his blog. Uh, my last question for you is, you shared with us very early on that you've been doing this kind of research for about 20 years. Would you have envisioned 20 years ago that the sneaker industry and the sporting goods industry would be where it is today? Not, not in the slightest. I, you know, I, I, people ask me how, you know, how I got here, and I, I say, you know, I just ran for daylight. Uh, uh, I found somebody who would send me checks, and I'm like, okay, I'll do more of that. And, uh, but when I look over my shoulder, there's a straight line to how I got here. Okay, so there seems to be some sort of a hand in all of this. But no, yes. the world is so different today, and and what motivates sales today. The, the, who the dominant retailers are today, you know, before I, before I started doing research, I worked for a company called Sportmart um, that at the time was the largest big box sporting goods retailer in the country, later acquired by Sports Authority, now completely out of business. And uh, you think about the brands and, you know, and remember that in the mid-80s, Reebok had the number one market share in the United mm -hmm. States for about two and a half years. People just don't understand that. And how much, for instance, how much market share Adidas and Reebok gave up um, uh, after Adidas required, acquired Reebok, and, and now they're starting to build it back again. Um, but the shifts and turns here are quite chaotic. It's, it's really been a lot of fun to, uh, to be a commentator on this game. 
Wow. Well, it's been great talking with you. And I, I know we could talk for hours more about sneakers, for gosh sakes. That amazes me. But uh, it's really a fascinating topic. And your work inside of the industry is it, clearly, if you can coin a term like sneakernomics and have it run away as it has, uh, you know, you're you're collecting those checks for a reason. And maybe like a celebrity athlete, and I, you know, you can say this to your boss or not, but maybe you should be asking for more. Uh, I'll leave that <laughs> up to you and your boss. But he's Matt Powell, Vice President and Senior Industry Advisor for the NPD Group. Blog's there, so go uh, Google NPD Group Matt Powell. Look for him on Twitter, at NPD Matt Powell. On LinkedIn, Matt Powell. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this Encore podcast presentation from Forbes Books at ForbesBooks.com.